0: Uh, guys, Abraham Lincoln, if you do presidential studies, most popular presidents, Lincoln is almost always at the top of the list. He's at the top of my list. And if you look at his life, uh, both as an individual and what he accomplished, uh, certainly notable. So accomplishments, he really holds the union together during the Civil War. If you read anything of his speeches, the speech at Gettysburg, no one remembers he wasn't the prim- primary speaker. He was fill-in afterwards. The primary guy spoke for two hours. Nobody remembers who that is. But everybody remembers Lincoln, and Lincoln's very short and just profoundly significant speech. If you visit, this image is from the Lincoln Memorial in D.C. His second inaugural address is up on the wall there. It's just he takes Scripture, and he takes the elements of the Civil War. He, he melds those together in that message, and it is just profound. So you read the words he wrote, and you say, this guy got it. Also, just at a personal level, he was a really humble guy. He was very aware. He was told he was ugly. He was tall and gangly. He was told he was ugly. He felt that. And in part, the good of that was he felt humble. He didn't boast in himself. He was humble. He was very wise. Uh, He was witty without being banal. I've got a little book, a gift from friends, which is nothing but little witty sayings, proverbs and adages from Lincoln. He became a kind of second Moses. You know, through the Emancipation Proclamation, he ended slavery in the South. And of course, it's not like all of that ended overnight. It wasn't that everything was roses in a day. But that was the beginning, if you will, of the exodus for slaves in the South coming out of that lifestyle. And then moments before he was assassinated, he was talking to his wife about visiting Jerusalem the next year. Now, Lincoln was given, I think as... Many of us were. Lincoln was given a wealth of benefit from his years growing up at home. His mom died when he was nine. But before she died, Lincoln grew up literally on the knee of his mom hearing the Bible read. His parents were both Christians. They were devout. And his mom would put little Abe on her knees and read him the Bible. So the Bible was his literary primer. He grew up reading it. He'd memorized large sections of it. His mom died. He got a stepmom who was a great gal. He loved her to death. So he started with a great beginning as far as his home life went and the truth that he'd been introduced to. But that changed when he left home. So he leaves home, he's a young adult. And you know, this is the way for many of us, right? We've grown up in our parents' household. But when you leave, you're deciding, do I believe what my parents believe? Am I laying hold? Am I settling my life on the same foundation they did? Or not? And Lincoln didn't. So as a young guy, He was not an atheist. Maybe you could say something along the lines of a deist. He believed there was a God. He believed that we should love God first and we should love our neighbor. But basically, it was God of his making. He absolutely rejected the divinity of Christ. He absolutely rejected the need of an atonement, which is interesting. If you have any respect for Christ, but you don't need a Savior, then you've really made Him redundant. In fact, you've made Him foolish because He came down and suffered and died... And you didn't need it. This was Lincoln's view. If you read up on this whole question of, and this is where I'm going, was Lincoln a Christian? There's stuff all over the map on this. And the problem is uh, twofold, and I'll share just a little bit here in a second. There's, um, Lincoln lived most of his life as an adult without being a believer. Absolutely, a Christian. He said so, and everybody around him knew it. He was clear on that. But he had developments later in his life, and that's what I'll get to here in a second. So um, he himself did not write in his hand and record clear confession of faith or conversion like we would like if we're Christians and we want to believe we're going to see Abe in heaven, right? But let me li- uh, listen to this. This is from D. James Kennedy, and this is what he records about Lincoln. Now, Lincoln, when he gets to the White House, he's had one son, Edward, die. He has another son, Willie, die. And and the death of his little son, Willie, was, he would say was the hardest thing of his life. But his heart started to soften. And so this is what Kennedy records. He says there's a remarkable letter that comes to us from an Illinois clergyman who talked to Lincoln after this time. This is after the death of his son. He said this to Mr. Lincoln, Mr. President, do you love Jesus? After a long pause, Mr. Lincoln solemnly replied, When I left Springfield, I asked the people to pray for me. I was not a Christian. When I buried my son, the severest trial of my life, I was not a Christian. But when I went to Gettysburg and saw the graves of thousands of our soldiers, I then and there consecrated myself to Christ. Yes, I do love Jesus. Lincoln died within just a couple of years. And these are the words from a guy that spoke to him. Those aren't Lincoln's words written down. Those are someone else's words recalled and written down. Uh, Lincoln did not start well as a young adult. So we're in a series about faithfulness. Lincoln was faithless to his maker. Guys, he was like most of the world, or certainly at least most folks in the United States today. I believe in a God. He's kind of a God of my making. I live life as I see best, as I see fit. And I trust that God and I are okay. That was Lincoln's youth. In fact, it was most of his life conversion for Lincoln if it happened and I think Kennedy's letter is correct it came very late in life so we admire Lincoln for lots of things and I believe he'll be in heaven but he didn't start well he finished well but he didn't start well and that's what we're talking about today your past does not define your present or your future and many of us can look back on our lives and we may regret wasted days or decades we may say I grew up in a Christian home and I pitched it when I left or we may say I didn't grow up in a Christian home I didn't know anything I've wasted big chunks of my life does that define me today does that define my future and we say well it doesn't not at all And that's what we'll see in the life of Moses this morning uh, we're in the 16th of the heroes of the faith we looked at Pharaoh last week faithlessness and God says, I raised this faithless fellow up because through him and his power and his reputation, I was going to display my glory and my power. Today, we're looking at Moses, the one that led the people of Israel out of Egypt, at least to the border of the land of promise. Now, like Lincoln, Moses is highly esteemed in the pages or the annals of the Bible, right? And, and for good reason, just like Lincoln, He pens the first five books of the Bible. He's the key player in four of those five books. He does lead the exodus of Israel out of Egypt. He's the one on Sinai speaking, God says, face to face. He gets the covenant which is delivered to the nation. You remember, this is the covenant Israel lives under for 1,400 years. You know, and observant Jews and Orthodox Jews today still look to Moses as the author of the covenant they live under today. With Elijah, he appears with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And this is significant. This is why I'm bringing him up today. Two times in the book of Hebrews chapter 3, he's called faithful. It says he's faithful in all God's house twice. If you get to Hebrews 11, three times it says of Moses, by faith Moses. This is what he did by faith. So if you look for a paragon of faithfulness in the Bible, Moses is a good place to start. But his life didn't start that way either. Just like Lincoln's. Moses finishes well, but he doesn't start well. And that's why I think he's particularly helpful to us. So this is my hope for anybody with a takeaway today. That whatever our past is, whatever failures we look back to, whatever regrets we have in the past, we understand that those don't define our life going forward. And that we can look at somebody's life who was faithless initially and then stumbled forward poorly in trying to be faithful. And he ends up as this paragon of faithfulness. And the big thing is it's because he got to know God. And we'll talk about that as we develop the theme this morning. So Moses, the lawgiver, let me just, guys, and like these other lessons, he's a big story, right? And we're just focusing on one element, faithfulness. Or we're developing the element of faithfulness in Moses' life. So I'm, I'm hop, skip, and jumping over most of his life. So we'll just start with this. You remember the life of Moses. He's born when that wicked Pharaoh is over Egypt who says, I want to kill all those little Jewish boys. I don't want an army of Jewish boys able to rise up against me. I don't want too many there that they could lead the people out. And I lose the value of their slave labor. So Moses is born. He's the third of three kids. He's the youngest his parents are able to hide him for a few months, but they realize can't, can't keep doing this. So we're going to take a guess. This is what we're going to do. We're going to make a little basket. It's an ark. It's covered with pitch inside and out, just like Noah's ark. And little Moses is put in that little basket and is put in the river of the Nile. And who should come down and bathe at the river but Pharaoh's daughter? So imagine this. Pharaoh who's commanded that Moses be killed, his daughter comes down And pulls that little baby out of the water. And that's where we get his name. Moses means drawn out. And that little Jewish boy who was condemned by Pharaoh is raised in Pharaoh's household by Pharaoh's daughter. That's interesting, isn't it? He grows up at about 40 years of age. He's been raised in pleasure and privilege. But he knows he's Jewish. And he sees the way his Jewish relatives are being treated. So he goes out. He thinks that he can help them. And in trying to do that, he kills an Egyptian. And he realizes Pharaoh, another Pharaoh in all likelihood, is found out. And his life's on the line. So Moses flees to Midian, the adjacent nation north and west just a little bit. Flees to Midian. while he's there, he meets a guy named Jethro or Rule or Hobab, depending on the passage you read about him. This priest in Midian marries one of his daughters, has two sons, and becomes a shepherd like his father-in-law. So, prince in Egypt runs away to Midian and starts life over. And guys, this phase of his life lasts about 40 years. So he's a shepherd. And he's just out like his ancestors long time before had been. He's moving sheep around. Life is simple, right? The the, the chaos of Egypt or the concerns of Egypt, they're a distant memory. And I'm a simple shepherd and I'm leading these sheep around. And by the way, I'm on a mountain, on the far side of a mountain, called Sinai and suddenly I see a bush on fire and it's not consumed and what do I make of that And that's where we're picking up here at Exodus 3 God is in that bush as you know and God's calling out from the bush Moses Moses and he said here I am and by the way in the Hebrew it's just the same word hine that we saw in the life of Joseph Jacob says I need somebody Joe son Joe says hine I'm it behold here I am And we said, that's what Isaiah said. And that's what Jesus says in Psalm 40, quoted in Hebrews. And that's where Moses starts. But this doesn't last long. So we're thinking Moses is just like Joseph, only he's not. Not at this point anyway. So God says, don't come near, take your sandals off your feet. The place in which you're standing, it's holy. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So, just like Joseph's life. In one day, his life is turned upside down. Now, can you imagine? He's just shepherding that day like he does every day. And there's a strange sight. I've got to go check out that bush. And God's voice calls to me out of the bush. And he says, I'm God, and and I've got a plan, and you're in my plan, and you and I, we're we're going down to Egypt. Now, it's been 40 years since he's been there. If God did this to you or I, how would we respond? We would be reeling, right? God God is talking to me? That would be challenging enough. And God's telling me to go back to the place and the people I fear and I dread? That would be challenging too. So Most of us tend to think of Moses, he's high, he's up on the mountain, he's glorious, he's with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, but that's not where he starts. And that's why I think he can be an example to you and I. So God says, Mo, you're my man, let's go down, let's bring those folks back. That's what you wanted to do before. And how does Moses respond? He says, Lord, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? (laughs) Who am I? (laughs) You've got the wrong person. (laughs) Who am I? Now remember, God says, "You're going to go down and we'll do this thing." And Moses is thinking, "I'm a shepherd. I lead the sheep around. Who am I that I could go down and do this thing? Who am I? Lord, I'm not powerful. I'm just this guy now. Previous life's gone. Who am I? Who am I? And God says, "Hey, not a problem." He says, the first answer to Moses' first objection, there's five of them. Exodus 3:12. God says, "No problem. I'll be with you." Now, if the God of the universe says He's with you, we should be okay, right? That's the solution. Moses says, who am I? God says, it doesn't matter who you are. It's who I am. We're going down. I'm going to go down with you. Guys, this should be it for all of us, right? That would be it right there. Our objection, we can't do this. God says, not a problem. I'm there with you. And that would be it. That would solve it. Does that tend to solve it for you and I? Probably not. I mean, I hope. If you haven't, you will experience times in your life where you know God's telling you, I want you to do something. And I'll bet your first response is just like Moses's. It's, it's this. It's the... <laughs> let's, let's reconsider. Who am I? I can't do this thing. And that's okay, because God says he can. Not a problem. So first objection solved. Moses, I will be with you. So Moses follows up. And I think in my mind, when he says this next one, I think he's hedging. He really doesn't want to go down. He's terrified. But he's trying to figure out some good reasons why God will say, it's okay, you don't have to do this. So I think this one is just stalling for time. He says, Lord, you know, there's a problem because if I were to go down, I don't know your name. They'd say, what's, what's his name? And I'd say, gosh, I don't know. And so, you know, shouldn't be me. And so God answers that second objection and says, not a problem. And by the way, don't you find that oftentimes it's our questions or it's our concerns or it's these moments where we're stuck and God interacts with us that you get this great theology that comes out. This is the passage where God gives us his proper name. It's to Moses' thing, I don't know your name. God says, okay, I'll tell you my name. I am. You know, at Yahweh. I was, I am, I will be. I'm the eternally existent one. So when you go down and they say, what is his name? You tell them, I am. Or Yahweh sent me. Here's my name. This is my proper name. This is the name I'll always be known by. And we get that because Moses says, I don't know your name. So to that objection, God says, no problem. Here's my name. You tell him I am or you always sent me. He's not done. So objection number three. He's still spinning. He's still trying to get out. He's like a rabbit, you know, that's been caught and he's still looking for options. So now he says, well, Lord, if I were to go down, And you're with me and I know your name. There's still a problem because they see it's not me anymore. You don't understand Lord. they won't believe me. So we shouldn't even waste our time because if I went and I did what you're saying, they wouldn't believe me. So it's not about me anymore. It's about them. And so God says, hey, I've got a solution for that too. Exodus three, excuse me, Exodus four, verses two through nine. God says, "Okay, this is what we'll do. They'll believe you. And I'll give you some miracles, some signs that will validate your authority to speak for me. That, that staff in your hand, you'll throw it down, it'll become a serpent. Your hand, stick it in your cloak, you'll pull it out, and it'll have leprosy on it. This won't be a trick, it'll really be leprous. You'll put it back in and pull it out and it'll be clean again. And we'll, we'll dip some water from the Nile, we'll pour it out and it'll be blood, it'll be real blood. He says, I'll give you some signs and they will believe you. Fourth objections covered. Or excuse me, third. At the fourth one, he says, so we're not done yet. He keeps going. He says, well, Lord, this is the problem too. I'm not eloquent. I'm not, I don't speak well. He says, it's like I have a heavy tongue. I have trouble getting my words out. How many, how many people here love to speak in front of others? You love, you love it. There's only a few for a reason. Most people don't want to speak in front of others. It's terrifying. Moses says, man, this is not my forte. I don't speak well. You don't want me. Do you remember what was said of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians? you remember Paul wrote most of the New Testament? He's the key Apostle who spreads the Gospel through the Roman Empire. But do you remember what his naysayer said of him? He's a poor speaker. He's a poor speaker. Moses says, I'm a poor speaker. And God says, you know, I've got an answer for that too because He says, Moses, I made your mouth. And I can help you. I can help you be as articulate as you need to be. That's not a problem. Now, the fifth and last one is the best. He says this. Um, it's cryptic. In the ESV, it reads, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Now, in the Hebrew, it doesn't. It, all that's not there. It says, please, Lord, send. And the thought is this. Moses is do, he's dismissing God. He says, Lord, send whoever you want. Except me. Lord, do whatever. It's a great plan. I can see you've got future and potential. Send anyone you want, as long as it's not me. Someone else is inferred. Now, the Lord's upset at this point. It says he gets angry with Moses. And he says, hey, you've got a brother Aaron, right? He's articulate. I'm going to team you up. I'll hit you up with your brother Aaron. You guys will go down together. I'll give you my word. You'll speak to Aaron. Aaron will speak. Everything's good. Basically, Moses knows He's going. Like it or not, he's going five, five excuses. God's not taking any of them. God says, You're my man. You're going down. Now think of this. Moses does not start well. The guy that's praised five times in Hebrews for faithfulness, this is the way he starts. No, 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 no. Faithless, 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 faithless. He knows this is God. He knows this is his creator. And he says, no way, no how. That's his start. That's where his story starts. Now, if Moses starts that poorly, do you think there's hope for mere mortals like you and me? I bet there is. We're made of the same stuff, right? Many of us have not started life well. In fact, I know, as I've said, some of us grew up in Christian households. We got up to adult age, we start making up our own mind and we go our own way. We can live decades doing things our own way. And you come to Christ and you suddenly get it. I've got life now. I understand the big picture. And I look back and I lament the decades behind me. Or guys, some of us have done this. We have said, I'm a Christian, Lord. I want to follow you. I want to obey you. I want to be faithful. And I will be here, 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 and here. But I'm reserving a couple areas of my life for myself. And we're not faithful there. All of us have some kind of baggage where we've been faithless in the past. And there can be a temptation to feel inadequately forgiven. Our conscience still bothers us. The blood of Jesus is the solution to that. But there can be a sense of regret that that defines me going forward, and it doesn't. Moses starts faithless, and God still says, you're my man, and we're going to do this together, and he does. He does. And that can be true of any of us. Whatever happened yesterday or last month or last year, it doesn't define who we are today. It doesn't define God's purpose and plan for us today or tomorrow going forward. You and I can end up with the kind of faithfulness Moses had regardless of what our past has been, where we've been faithless or not. Now it's interesting, when Moses starts... To be faithful, sort of. What you'll find, this is true for most of us anyway, so he goes from faithless, not me, Lord, to he's going to start obeying, but what you'll see is that his faith is stuttering and he's falling. He's trying to be faithful. He's going through the motions, but he's still not confident in God such that faithfulness is his default. So this is what happens to him. Are you guys getting the same thing I am? Do you have every image, image up there? Okay, no. Sorry, I've got to learn how to use this This one. How does that work? Okay. In Exodus 5, Moses and Aaron go down to Pharaoh and they say, hey, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. Let Israel go. And Pharaoh says, we looked at this last time, I don't know who your God is. Never heard of him. Don't know him. And I'm not letting Israel go. Now, instead of Israel being liberated, They've gone down, they've, Moses has done the scary thing. He's gone to the Pharaoh and he said, he's made a demand of the most powerful man on earth. And instead of the deliverance he expected immediately, it's not coming. And what has happened instead? Pharaoh says, those Jews, they have too much time on their hands. I'm going to require that they continue making the same number of bricks, but I'm taking the straw away from them that I used to give them. But the quote is unchanged. So they're trying to make bricks without straw. They've got to spend extra time gathering that. And their quotas start dropping. So the foremen of the the production crews are Jews, but the guys over them are Egyptians. And the Egyptians start beating the Jewish foremen. And the foremen go to Pharaoh and say, this isn't fair. We're doing everything we can. And they leave Pharaoh and they go to Moses and this is what they say. This is Exodus 5, verse 20. They say to Moses and Aaron, the Lord, and they use his proper name, Yahweh, I am, look on you and judge you because you've made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and they've put a sword in their hand to kill us. So these guys say, we're not feeling it, Moses. You've come down, our life is worse than it was before. God curse, God condemn, God judge you. Guys, have you ever done something where you know you're doing exactly what God wants you to do? And what you get instead of blessing is cursing? Or what you get is accusation? if If you're obedient very long, this will happen. You know you're being faithful, but you're not feeling the benefit of it because things haven't turned around for someone else. And you get the finger pointing, you get the accusations. What do you do with that? what will moses do with that well you see this here in five twenty-two. moses turns to the lord and he says lord why have you done evil to this people why did you ever send me it's like lord i told you way back there shouldn't have started this since i came to pharaoh to speak in your name he's done evil to this people and you've not delivered your people at all he's like lord okay we came down we did it your way we went we said this and these guys, they're mad, and they're mad at me. You know, what am I going to do? Now, when I read Moses here, this is what I think of. You remember in the Charlie Brown Christmas special, Charlie Brown has tried to do the Christmas pageant. It's been a spectacular failure. And he thought he'd impress all the kids with his choice of a Christmas tree, and they hate it, and they mock him, right? And he, and he takes that little Christmas tree home, and he takes one nice, shiny red ornament, and he puts it on it tree loses a few more needles, falls over to the ground. And you remember what he says? He says, I've killed it. Everything I touch is ruined. I think that's what Moses is feeling like now. I did what you said. I jumped through the hoops. I followed through and nothing is working. So guys, this is the thing. Moses is there. He's being obedient, but he has no confidence and he's ready to go back to this stage of faithlessness. God says to him in, Exodus 6.10, Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Verse 12, Moses says, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh? So you've got excuses again. You've got objections again. Same thing at Exodus 6.28. He says, Moses says to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? So this sounds just like back at Sinai. It's not that I don't want to obey you, Lord. It's going nowhere. Nothing's going to happen. So at this point, Moses is in Egypt. He's in the arena. He's doing the things God told him to do. He's saying the things God's told him to say, but he's doing so with no confidence. And his faithfulness looks now just like it did back at Sinai. He's stumbling forward. He says, nobody listens to me. The Jews now don't listen to me. They did initially, the record's clear, But the hard times have increased and now they don't want to hear from me. In fact, the text says their spirits were crushed by the oppression. It says they couldn't listen. We're so depressed. We're so despondent and discouraged. We just can't hear it. And so Moses is like he wants to go back. He doesn't want to start this thing over at all. Let's just go back. He's stumbling in his faithfulness. He's there. He's doing it, but he has no confidence. And so he feels like he wants to be faithless the way he was before. Lord, your plan's not going to work. Let's go back. I'll just go back to being a shepherd on the hill. Now guys, being in the arena is better than sitting in the stands. And faltering faithfulness is better than faithlessness. So he's engaged, but what he lacks is confidence so that faithfulness is simply the default. Now the text doesn't record it, but I think this is what's going on. Because what you'll see a changed man here in the next text. I think what's happening over time is Moses, remember, is talking to God. The God of the universe is showing up to Moses and speaking to him. And Moses is getting to know God better and better. And he's seeing God's word slowly but surely be fulfilled. And so by the time you get to the second plague, the plague of the frogs, This stuttering faithfulness or this desire to default back to faithlessness, it's gone and you don't see it again. But I think what's happening is he's drawing near to God and God's drawing near to him. Moses is learning more about who God is, that he can't lie, that he's true to his word, that he's the power above all powers. And so what you'll see is he moves from faithlessness to faltering faith to faithfulness. You see this in Exodus 8. Verse nine. This is the plague of the frogs, and the frogs from the Nile, they've covered the land, they're everywhere, and Pharaoh's sick of it. So he says to Moses, Hey, would you please go pray to your God, get rid of these frogs? So Moses all of a sudden his his stature and his words change, and he says this. He says, You name the hour. I'll go talk to the Lord tomorrow. You tell me the hour you want to see those frogs die and start receding, so that when I pray at that hour, you'll know God did it. It's the time you asked. It'll be that specific. That's the kind of confidence you see in Moses going forward. That's exactly what he does to Pharaoh, says to Pharaoh, and that's what God does. Now, with each successive plague or sign, Moses does the same thing. He goes boldly into Pharaoh. He speaks God's word. Pharaoh's heart is hardened. God does the sign of the miracle right up to the tenth sign. You remember it's the death of the firstborn. And that's the Passover. We don't have time to go into all of that, but you remember the Jews took a lamb. It was in their home for four days. On the evening it's slain. They take its blood. They put it around the opening to their home. And anyone in that home under the blood of the lamb is safe when the angel of death goes over the nation that night. And anyone not, is slain the firstborn of that house is slain so of course pharaoh wakes up that night as do the rest of the egyptians and the firstborn in every household is dead now at this point pharaoh says exactly what god said he would pharaoh calls moses and he says get up and leave god said pharaoh will drive you out of egypt he won't just let you go pharaoh says the nation's decimated my son is dead i'll let you go please go and so they do So the Jews leave. It is the Exodus. They leave Egypt. And as they're leaving Egypt, you remember what comes up next. They get up to the Red Sea. And in the time it's taken them to march to the Red Sea, Pharaoh's heart has changed again. And so he marshals his army. They get the charioteers. And they start chasing the Jews. Now here they are. The Red Sea's in front of them. The army of Egypt is behind them. They've got no place to go. And this is what the Jews are saying to Moses. They're saying, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Were there not enough graves in Egypt for us to die and be buried there? And they're accusing Moses again. Now this, this is the same kind of language, same kind of accusation he'd heard before. But what's his response this time? He says, this is verse 13 in chapter 14, Moses says, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. The Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. And of course, the Lord opens the Red Sea. The text is clear. It's like a wall of water on both sides. They march across on dry land. The Egyptians see that. The Jews are on the other side. The Egyptians start in. The waters come down. God destroys the Egyptian army. And they keep going. And to make his long story very, very cryptically short, You see Moses' faithfulness in the wilderness. He's faithful at Sinai. They get the law. This is where I want to end though. Uh, The more we get to know God, the more fully we buy into who He is, the truth of His Word, the desirability of what He wants. It's not just that our confidence grows. We want to be faithful because we want God to be honored. We want His Word to be found true. And we want His people to be blessed. And that's exactly what you see here in the life of Moses. When they're at the the mount at Sinai, and Moses has gone up to get the rest of the law, they'd said yes to the initial offer of the Ten Commandments. He goes back up to get the law. And while he's there, God interrupts and says, hey, Moses, those people that you brought up, your people that you brought up, uh, they've already blown it. Now, Moses prays twice. And the first prayer is this. He says, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against you? your people god says they're yours moses says well really they're yours that you have brought out of the land of egypt with great power and a mighty hand and here moses reminds god of his own word he says remember abraham isaac and israel your servants to whom you swore by yourself you swore to them i will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and this land i have promised i will give to your offspring Moses prays to God and he says, Lord, you've made promises that require this people. You can't go back on your word. He simply prays back to God what God had already said. He goes down to the people and he says this, you've sinned a great sin. I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So he goes down and he sees, yeah, it's that bad. He goes back up to the top of Sinai and this is what he says. Moses returned to the Lord and he said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold, but now, if you will, forgive their sin. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Now this is interesting, isn't it? Moses has gone from faithless to faltering to faithful and confident and the end of that development is he looks just like Jesus Christ when he says, take my life and spare them. He is so fully bought into the will of God and the glory of God and the promises of God and the blessing for God's people that Moses says, Lord, if you can forgive them, would you? And if you can't, would you take me instead of them? And guys, I think that's just what happens when we get to know God as Moses was getting to know God. The transformation is occurring in us that you see in the life of Moses. The life of Christ within us, face to face through fellowship and prayer and the Word of God and worship. We get to know Him. We buy into who He is. We want to see Him honored and glorified. We want to be faithful because the life of Christ in us is faithful faithful that's where all of this goes remember we're not creating faithfulness we just want the life of christ in us that is faithful to be raised up and known and that's where moses ends up he's faithful he's a paragon of faithful it's not where he started it's where he finished and it's because of that confidence in god and that love for god that's simply based on knowledge and i don't mean head knowledge and i don't mean book knowledge I mean personal relationship knowledge with the living God, he's got it. And so he's faithful as a default because of that. And his story can be true for any of us here as well. It doesn't matter what the history is for us. It doesn't matter what faithlessness has looked like in the past. It doesn't matter today if we're faltering forward, if you will, That same kind of faithfulness you see exemplified in the life of Moses. That's exactly what God's doing in you and me today, too. If you feel like it's tough, that's a tough challenge. We don't jump through more hoops. We get to know God. We get face to face with the Lord. And we do that times like this. We do it when we worship and when we pray and when we're in our word here or at home. We do it when we meet with other saints. Those are all the vehicles God's always been using to help us to know him as he is and then the life of Christ is formed within us. And that's what you see in the life of Moses. Didn't start well, but he finished well. And the faithfulness was the fruit of the personal knowledge of God and the transformation within him that looks just like the life of Christ. And that's, that's meant to be your story and mine as well. Let's pray and then we'll read a scripture together. If you're on the worship team, you can come on up. Lord God, uh, help us to place our past faults and failures under the blood of Christ, which alone is adequate to cleanse our conscience. Thanks for the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, Lord, that washes us white as snow. Thanks for the gift of new birth and new life and the presence of your Spirit to engender and to promote more the life of Christ within us. And Lord, if we haven't started well, help us finish well and help that start today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, uh, Last before we start, have I still got this one, guys? Psalm 90. This is Moses' psalm. Go ahead and stand with me. Uh, This is from Moses. It's one of my favorite psalms, and we'll read verses 12, 16, and 17. Join me if you would. (coughs) So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Amen.